Hey, my name is Jamie. I have the privilege of being a pastor here at Midtown Church. We pick up today back in the book of 1 Peter, a series that we're calling Standing in Grace. Standing being a posture of confidence and standing also being an ongoing action. So what we're learning as we walk through this, this letter is Peter telling us to be confident in the grace of God and continually and actively be affected by the grace of God. So the book of First Peter is going to show how the transformative grace of God that, that is working in us it, it, it is, is this thing that touches every aspect of culture that we encounter. And so today we look back into First Peter to learn more and more what it looks like to stand in grace. Today we're in First Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. If you do not have a copy of God's Word and would like one, we have those free for you. In the lobby, you can put up on your smartphone. We'll also have the words on the screen. I'm going to invite you now to stand with me as I read our passage. First Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. These are the very words of God. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him, and some of your uh, copies of the scripture may say since, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. First Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. Those are the very words of God. Pray with me. Father, we do come before you and knowing this, that every time we open up the scriptures, we open ourselves up to you. And so we proclaim here that your word is living, it's active, it can be fully trusted, it stands in authority over us, we don't stand in authority over it. And so where your, your word rubs us today, uh, Lord, may we receive it with glad ears. Lord, may we be cut by your word that our sin and self-centeredness bleeds out, that we look more and more and more like Jesus. So to so that end... We seek to labor and ask for your kindness. In the wonderful, wonderful name of Christ, I pray. Amen. You can be seated. So my wife is a runner. She's a pretty good runner. Now, she's had a little bit of a knee issue, and she's pregnant again, my fault. And so she hasn't, <laughs> she hasn't been able to run for quite a while. But I, I remember even after she had our, our first kiddo, James, that, that like, Two months after he was born, she took out the door and ran like four or five miles and just came right back home. And I remember sitting there in utter amazement and thinking, I hate you. (laughs) How do you do that? I've had people ask me over the years to go running and I always want to say, why? (laughs) There's a perfectly good TV show on. Why why would I do that? Uh, 
So knowing how much I don't like running, knowing how much she does like running, when we got married, February 23rd, 2013, (laughs) nailed it. Uh, It's on a pillow at our house. I can never forget. Uh, I committed to my wife that I was going to run a 5K. This is a big deal for me. So I start, you know, like March of that year, we're still living in Memphis at the time, and I start slowly building, some of y'all are going, this guy's pathetic, I know, I'm slowly building up to the 5K, so I get one mile in, that's a milestone, pun intended, right, then, then we get two miles in, then probably about six months later, I get to the, to the three, three and a half mile, and then I'm just in maintenance, right, maintaining, maintaining, looking for the perfect opportunity to fulfill my 5K commitment, so on Thanksgiving Day, of 2013, I ran with my wife the turkey trot in Auburn, Alabama. It was 28 degrees that morning. So I run it. I don't stop. That was my only goal. Finish without walking. That was it. I did that. Crossed the finish line, full of joy, and immediately held a press conference and retired from running. Okay, so I haven't revisited it. Since, but here's what I learned during that, that short process is that if I was going to, and I'm just not a long distance runner, I love athletics, just hate long distance running, but if I was going to do that, there was a procedure that was going to prepare me to run. In fact, there was a little bit of step by step by step, and if I would follow that and do that, I once the opportunity to run presented itself, that I'd be ready. That, that I could step into it. Well, in a sense, that's what Peter is doing for us today on a much, much grander scale. That he's going to say there is a direction that we should be running, and it's the direction of holiness. It's the direction of living with God and becoming more like God, but we don't just jump into that. There's some things that happen before we are ready to run. And so today, as we look through our passage, we're going to be looking at what does Peter say to do so that we're ready to run. Now, you'll notice in verse 13, it starts with therefore. Therefore is our connecting word this morning. It's drawing everything that he said in verses 3 through 12 and linking it with everything that he's about to tell us in 13 through 21 and beyond. So what he's unpacked for us thus far is this, like, This is who you are because this is what God's done for you. And that's where he starts. This is who you are because of what God has done for you. Now, since that is true, live like this. That's the transition he's making this morning. And I love that he does that. Notice, Peter does not start his letter with what we should do. He starts the letter with a gospel reminder of who we are Because of Jesus. Now let me press pause right there. If we don't follow this same pattern, we run a couple risks. Okay, so just kind of our wiring, kind of what we have inherited as humans, is to always look at conduct first, conduct first, conduct first. In fact, even in a lot of our discipleship mentalities, our mentoring relationships, they're they're largely aimed at, at behavior modification, Stop doing this, do this. Stop doing this, do this. Now, if we start there, here's what happens. We either, one, become unbelievably self-righteous, so that's one side of the spectrum, right? 
Like everything's about conduct, 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 and look at everything I'm doing, look at everything you're not doing, and since, well, I always meet my own standard and you never do, well, guess what? I'm always better than everyone else. What a wonderful system, except it kind of shoots a middle finger at the cross. Okay, but here's the other, other aspect of that is, is this like self-deprecating, loathing, well, I can never do anything that's right. I can never act perfectly. I can never do what I want to do every time I want to do it. So you know what? I'm just done with this righteousness thing. Maybe it's for somebody else who's better than I am. Like if we just start with conduct, if we only look at what we do, those are the directions that we are going to naturally fall into unless all of our conduct, all of our living, our thinking, our speaking comes from what Peter has said in verses 3 through 12. This is who you are. Remember. Remember that God in his grace and mercy said, I want you to be my child and I'm going to pave the way for you by the blood of my son. You don't have to earn your way to me, think your way to me, buy your way to me. God's saying, you can have me fully and freely because of Jesus. And then we look at our lives and say, but God, even me? Like, don't you know what I've done? Don't you know what I've thought? Don't you know what I've said? Don't you remember the times, God, that I cursed? You're not that God. Do you really know? And God says, all of you, every ounce of you, I want it. And God offers himself to us, not because of what we can do for him, but because what he did for us through Jesus. It is so incredibly beautiful, but it should change us. It's the idea that we can't come into contact with such marvelous grace, such newness of living, such brand new identity without it affecting practical change. And that's the transition Peter makes here. That Peter is saying, hey, this is who you were. Look what God has done. It should change us. It should change us. So we don't start with the behavior. We start with the belief, but the belief should absolutely change our behaviors. But man, it really twists the motivation. Like we don't act certain ways to earn God's love. We want to live in ways that please him because of his great love that he already showed us. So Peter says, therefore, since all of that is true, here's what he's going to call us to do. Look at it with me. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That phrase, preparing your minds for action, uh, very literally reads, gird the loins of your mind. Now, to gird your loins would have been a phrase really familiar to Peter's readers, really familiar in the Old Testament, but back then you wore long robes and really hard to run, really hard to move freely and effectively. So if you were ever called to kind of quick, fast action, they would do what was called girding their loins, which was to take the long robe and tie it up and into their waist. They had more freedom to run. So here's what Peter is actually saying. He's saying, gird the loins of your mind Remove everything that's hindering you from running in the direction of holiness. And one of the most foundational things for Peter that hinders us 
from running in this direction of holiness is false hope. It's false hope. Okay, so when he uses mind, it's really similar to how we use heart, sort of this all-consuming term for like the depth of who we are, who we are at the core. So here's what Peter's saying is, at the core of who you are, you tuck every hindrance out of the way to prepare yourself to run towards holiness. And one of the foundational practices is we have to eliminate false hope. What do I mean by that? Things that give us meaning, that drive our steps, that show us where we want to go and who we want to be. The things that when they get off a little bit, totally rock our world. What we're looking for, for comfort, security, assurance, the thing that satisfies our most eager longings. What Peter is saying is, none of that can be found in anything other than Jesus. And that's a foundational step towards tucking in our mind and preparing to run. And if you think about it, it makes sense. Right? So a false hope could be your career. Why not careers aren't a bad thing? They're wonderful things to work hard. But do you want to hope in that? Was it not but a few years back that The economy, maybe not in Austin as much, but in America, largely recessed and millions of people were laid off. You want to hope in that? You want your security and longing and dreams and, and meaning and worth and value based upon a whimsical financial market? What about relationships? Those are really good things too. I've got a wonderful spouse. I love her. I want to spend time with her. My ultimate hope and meaning and value is not derived from her. Do you know why? Because I will fail her, do fail her, do let her down, and she'll do the same to me along the way. I I can't put my ultimate hope in that, though she's the greatest blessing given to me as I'm trying to walk with Jesus. What about these fantasy scenarios we work out? Man, okay, I'm just a sophomore at at UT, but man, when I get done, I get that job, everything's going to kind of come together. Nope. (laughs) Man, I'm single, but if I could just get married, I know once I'm married that these sins will go away and everything will be set right. Mm -mm. It's not going to happen. If I just get this promotion, just change this city, just live in this location, then... Gang, that is false hope. That is looking to something other than Jesus to satisfy what only Jesus can bring. And if we are focused on that at a foundational level, what Peter is saying, you're not that prepared to run in holiness. Let's keep going. 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But, 15, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Now, Peter here is introducing a big idea. We're going to have to follow it all the way through or else we can run kind of to a scary place. When Peter says a former way of ignorance, and then when he's going to, uh, on the opposite of that, say be holy as God is holy, he is drawing us to this idea, habitual patterns of living. Okay? Defining patterns of living. So he's saying, 
don't step back into these deep patterns of habitual. He's not saying don't ever sin again. It'd be ludicrous. He is saying if you want to run towards holiness, you cannot step back into a habitual, addictive sin pattern. I actually used this on my son the other day. 17 months, he was ready. We were, we were, uh, I don't think my wife was home. We were, uh, we were sitting there and I saw him creeping towards the cable box, finger out. And he got real close. I said, James, I said, don't you go back to that former way of ignorance. You, you do not touch the cable box when football is on. And you know this. Right, but but it's so natural for us, isn't it? Like the slightest circumstance is tweaked. The the slightest thing, like we're hoping things go really well and one thing falls through and there's kind of this this gut pull back to this pattern of living that is a habitual cycle of sin. And Peter says, don't go there. And if you do go there, don't expect to be tracking a line of holiness because that's pulling you away from the very direction he's exhorting us to run. In fact, here's what's really marvelous about what God says is true of us with Jesus is that when the Holy Spirit indwells us, when we call upon the name of Christ for salvation, we repent, we believe, the Spirit indwells us. God actually says the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is at work within us. Meaning this, victory over habitual patterns of sin is absolutely possible. Absolutely possible. So what Peter wants us to do is get into habitual patterns of victory. Because habitual patterns of victory, well, that looks more and more like holiness. That looks more and more like this set-apartness of God. So for some of us this morning, and I've I've had several one-offs with you in this room, like one of the places that we have to begin is you've really got to believe this is true. If you're already at a default operating system that just kind of is like, hey God, this is my sin, and it's going to be my sin, and it's just going to dominate me. Now I'm okay, but this is just going to dominate me the rest of my life. I'm going to tell you something right now. We're not believing the gospel. We aren't. Because victories, however small they may be, that power is made possible by the grace and mercy of God and the Holy Spirit that indwells us. And I need an amen on that. Amen. There is so much freedom. Not this idea that we will be sinless, but these bonds and chains of sin mastering us were shattered at the cross. So what Peter's asking us to do, it's actually possible. Like it's actually possible to not have false hopes. It's possible to not live in habitual patterns of addicted sin. And it's possible to live in habitual patterns of victory. And that implies there'll be some defeats along the way. I experience those, certainly. Okay, so what Peter says is be holy. Why? For God is holy. He's actually saying as we walk with God, we get the joy of becoming more like God. But to get there, to be ready to run in those directions, he's saying you've got to go to work against any false hopes that are going on. 
and plead the power of Christ in the midst of any habitual sin pattern we're engaged in. Okay, let's keep going and see what else. And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now, gang, I'm going to be honest. This, to me, was the most difficult verse in this entire passage. Because on the front end, here's the, the, the really awesome part of this, is it just told us that I get to call God Father. And that means something. And it means something really pervasive in Scripture. I was, I was meeting with a guy this week. Had a conversation with him. Uh, it kind of went down a, down a daddy direction. And, and this never actually occurred to me till that moment. But look, I'm, I'm not the world's best father. I'll just tell you. You heard what I already did to my son. He's 17 months. Right. I'm shaming him out of touching the cable box. I'm not going to be a perfect father. And it's hard to say, but I'm going to wound my kids. I'm going to. I can't avoid that. Okay, so I, actually my trajectory isn't to be a perfect dad. My, my trajectory isn't to try to live in this fear of like never hurting our kids because it's going to happen. But here's what occurred to me that I would just really, really love to be true one day. And if this is true, I feel like I'll sit back and just feel really pleased. And that's this, that if at some point, in the future, maybe when they're adults, Lord willing, that our kids would sit back and they would just be able to say this, I really enjoy that you're my dad. Like, enjoy it. Are happy about it. That it pleases them that I get to be their father. So I'm thinking on that and I'm going, but I don't know if I've ever related to God like that. Right? Like fatherhood, like how messed up it can be horizontally. Like some of you don't even know your dad. Some of you got no relationship with your dad. Some of you are hurt or abused or distant from him. Like that all impacts how we view God as father. All of it. But at the end of the day, I feel like as a father... What makes God really, really pleased is when we enjoy the fact that He's our perfect, unchanging Dad. And we just enjoy it. We, we don't feel like we've got to work to earn His love. Or we don't feel like He's waiting at every corner to jump on us if we do wrong. I think God really, really, really desires us to desire Him. I want that on a horizontal level with our own kids. But here's something that comes along with that. This whole fear idea that Peter's talking about, this is a tough one to preach. I started to sit with Jake on Friday and be like, why did we pick First Peter again? It makes us talk about stuff. God wants us to enjoy Him so much that He is going to put things in our life when we're in those habitual patterns of sin that break us out and send us back to Him. And oftentimes, those things are painful. They're painful. It's a real-time consequence to choosing habitual 
disobedience. And Peter just wants us to know that we have this awesome privilege of calling God Father. And He's a perfect Father. But every perfect Father gives their kids what's going to cause them to come back into intimate relationship with Him. And so Peter says, Hey, know that. Know that God, as A.W. Tozer says, loves you enough and loves me enough to at times He's going to wound us because He wants all of our heart. So if we're choosing false hopes habitually, He may get something in there that causes that false hope to shatter so we run back to Him. And when we're choosing habitual patterns of sin that aren't the directions of running in holiness, that sin very likely could bring something that makes us go, I don't want this anymore. It's like, I want Jesus more than I want this sin. Okay, one parenthetical, then we're going to close down. It could be really easy for all of us right here to hear that and jump to karma. Right? Like, I didn't read my Bible, so I'm going to get a flat tire. That is not what Peter is saying. He is not saying God's up there with a checklist. Five wrongs, here come five punishments. What Peter is saying is just know, and, and you know what, I don't think he gives us a lot of details of someone's going, well, what does that look like? Am I in that right now? I don't know. Ask the Holy Spirit. I found God's really faithful to work through the Holy Spirit if we pursue and ask Him those questions. I do know Peter wants us to know this. God loves us enough to if we get in these habitual, hear me, habitual patterns. I'm going to overstate it. He loves us enough to give us what we need to come back to Him because enjoying God is the best place we could ever possibly be. And when we're walking in these directions of holiness, we're with God, looking more and more like God, enjoying God, and that's what Jesus means when He says, life to the fullest here and now. So if I'm hearing that for the first time or reading it for the first time, here's my one question, then we're done. Can I trust God with that? I mean, really, like, can I trust that God's not just going to completely obliterate me? Like absolutely send all of His wrath on me because I know me. I know what I think. I know what I say. I know what I do. Can I even trust this God? Like, it just told me to fear Him in this way. Like, like have some respect and awe about the consequences that may come our way if we're in these habitual patterns. Like, can I trust Him with what's going on? Look what Peter said. He, he back, so I, while we're wrestling with this and knowing that God will give us the discipline that causes us to come back to Him, here's what he says. Don't forget that you were ransomed from futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Not bought with silver or gold. That's what happened in the, in the slave market during that time. A ransoming was the language of purchasing a slave's freedom with silver or gold. He says, that wasn't you. He says, you were bought with the blood of Christ. Like a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. That's the New Testament clause for before creation. But was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead, talking about Jesus, and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Peter says, if you want to know if you can trust God with you, look at Jesus. You don't have to fear this weight and wrath of God ready to pounce on your head. Nope. That was fully given on Jesus. 
every ounce of ultimate punishment and wrath that we deserved and earned because of our sin, God satisfied by taking it out on His Son. And so Peter wants to say, you can absolutely trust God. God already gave His Son in our place. He's not going to ask the same price of you because His own boy paid it for all of us. Peter says, yeah, you can trust Him. Look how much He loves you. And the motivation of God with His kids always comes from a place of love. So how do we run? How do we prepare to run in directions of holiness? We've got to go to battle against false hopes. We've got, to, we've got to know that we know that we know that the power of Christ in us can break these chains of habitual sins. And we've got to trust Him when the times come that God gives us what's going to cause us to turn back to Him. And we can trust Him because His love is manifested to us in the sacrifice of His Son. It's a beautiful passage. Midtown, as part of our new rhythm, as a merged church, we're going to start taking communion every week together. That we are, in this time, going to do what Jesus says and and have this act of remembrance for what Peter just talked about. The blood of our spotless Passover lamb was spilled. It was spilled that we may never have to shed it. So I want to talk to two groups of you. One, if you're here and you've called on the name of Jesus and you're a a follower of Jesus, I'm going to challenge you this morning, if possible, depending on where you are in your walk with God, like, don't just come down here like mopey and somber and, like, this might not be pleasing to some of you, but when my wife and I take communion, we cheers each other. And you know what we say? We are clean. We're clean. Celebrate it. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we would ask that this would simply be a time of observation for you. That it would be a time that you observe God's people taking the bread, which is the body of Jesus, and the juice here, which is the blood of Jesus, as we remember that His body was broken and blood spilled out to cover our sins that we may be called children of of God. Logistically, if you'd come down the middle aisles and exit down the sides, back to your rows, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you gave us your written word that tells us about your living word, Jesus, and about all the work that he accomplished and about who we are because of him. That God, it is nuts that someone as jacked up as me can preach your perfect word and you even let me have the privilege of doing it, albeit imperfectly. The only way that's possible is that we're covered by the blood of the Lamb. So we praise You. God, we want to live holy lives. And if we don't want to live holy lives, I pray that Your Spirit would convict us to want to live holy lives. And in our continual falling short, God, would You just remind us how much You love us, how much we can trust You. If we have false hopes, shatter them. If we have habitual patterns of sin, show us the power of Jesus that can break those bonds. Jesus, thanks for your your sacrifice. The body and blood broken and spilled on our behalf that we may come and be with God.